Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, as the Easter season comes to a close, we've come to the seventh Sunday of Easter. And as Pentecost quickly approaches, the Church again teases us with readings about the Holy Spirit. It's as though it's, it's been readying us now for the past couple weeks to receive the Spirit. In many ways, the Holy Spirit, who is the love between the Father and the Son, is the whole point of salvation. Listen, Jesus came that we might be gathered into the love that he and the Father share. The Father sent the Son, yes, even into God-forsakenness. The Father sent the Son, yes, even into the depth of our sin. Why? That we might be gathered by the Son into the Holy Spirit. That's the whole purpose of the spiritual life. Therefore, all good preaching is preaching in the Holy Spirit. All good liturgy is a participation in the Holy Spirit. All the sacraments, especially the Eucharist, draw us in to the power of the Holy Spirit. They are the means by which we share in the inner life of God, that holy breath that connects the Father and the Son. So, our first reading, taken from the Acts of the Apostles. All during the Easter season, we've been reading from that great book of the Acts of the Apostles. But our reading today gives us a fascinating little icon of the church. What I mean here is this kind of holy picture. We're meant to meditate upon this this scene and draw out its implications. We hear that Jesus has just ascended to the Father, and now the disciples are doing what he told them to do, namely to wait in the city to be clothed with power from on high. What's the city? Of course, the city of Jerusalem, the city of the Paschal Mystery. But Jesus, now having returned to the Father, says, don't, don't go about your work yet. You're not ready. Wait here in the holy city to be clothed with power from on high. Now, I wonder whether they knew exactly what he meant. I sincerely doubt it. They loved him. They trusted him. They did what he told them to do. But did they know what this would mean? this clothing with power from on high. But they obeyed. And the 11 remaining disciples, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, gathered in that upper room, that place of the Last Supper, the place where the risen Christ appeared. And they prayed that the Spirit might come. Listen. All these devoted themselves with one accord to prayer. Now, I'd like you just to spend some time with that image, that icon. It's a picture of the church at its best. 
Mount Zion, true pole of the earth. There all the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord. I've said that to you over and over again because it's a dominant theme in the Bible. Israel would be gathered in Jerusalem, and then through the gathered Israel, all the tribes of the world would be gathered. Well, here they are. The very beginning of the church, here they are, gathered on the top of Mount Zion. They're gathered precisely as the new Israel. And the fact that Mary is there is very important because in the gospel, she is consistently presented as the embodiment of faithful Israel. And so, on the top of Zion, waiting to receive the power by which it would fulfill its identity and destiny is this church. See, again, that's what the church means. That's what the church is. It's the new Israel. Through the church, the God of Israel would be proclaimed to all the nations. Who are these people gathered here? Oh, great saints, oh, great sages. Not quite. Peter, who denied him three times. Matthew, who was for most of his life a notorious sinner. Thomas, who doubted that the Lord had been raised. Simon, the zealot, who had been a violent revolutionary. John, who lusted after power. These were the people who gathered in an upper room. People not capable on their own of realizing this great mission. Whom do they remind you of? Well, of me and of you, last time I checked. Here's the church, made up of sinners, unworthy of their mission, sure, of course. But that's why they prayed. That's why we have to pray. The church does many things. It teaches, preaches, does social outreach, community organizing, visiting of the sick and the homeless. It educates children, all kinds of things. But listen, none of these will be of one bit of value unless they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, I'm doing all kinds of great things. Oh, the church has all these programs. Well, big deal. They'll mean nothing unless or until the Holy Spirit inhabits them. The Spirit is the fuel of the church, the energy and life force of the body of Christ. And listen, friends, we can't get it through heroic effort. You know, you can improve your golf swing through practice. You can become a better baseball player by habituation and by sheer force of will. You can become more adept at, at dancing or, or any other worldly enterprise through your own efforts. But you can't get the Holy Spirit that way. You can only get it by asking for it. And so the church at its primitive moment at the earliest moment is gathered precisely for that purpose to pray for the spirit so for the past 2000 years the church has begged for the holy spirit has begged for this power from on high now 
this should be a great comfort to us. Jesus told us the Father would never refuse anyone who asked for the Holy Spirit. Remember that great gospel where he says, Knock, it shall be opened to you. Seek, and you shall find. Ask, and you shall receive. But then he specifies. He means if you ask for the Holy Spirit. He means if you knock on the door for the Holy Spirit. He means if you beg for the Holy Spirit. I mean, we can ask for all kinds of things that really aren't good for us, that God doesn't want to give us. But, but, he always wants to give us the Holy Spirit. Sometimes, nope. Most of the time, nope. Always, always. Years ago, I was down at Notre Dame University, and I heard Father Hesburgh, the former president of Notre Dame, now a man in his 90s and mostly blind, He was speaking to the seminarians where I was living. He said, there's one prayer that's always appropriate. Whether you're experiencing success or failure, whether you're confident or afraid, whether you're young or old, and that prayer is, Veni Sancte Spiritus. Come, Holy Spirit. That's good. That's a good talk. That stayed in my mind, and he's dead right. Veni, Sancte Spiritus. Come, Holy Spirit. You're tempted. That's what you should pray. You've experienced a rush of success. That's what you should pray. You failed at something that you really wanted. That's what you should pray. You've been rejected. That's what you should pray. You're basking in the glow of friendship and good cheer. That's what you should pray. Veni, Sancte Spiritus. That's the essential defining prayer and stance of the church. We imitate even now what those apostles did in that upper room. Mind you, too, how important it is that they pray with Mary. How important it is that we pray with Mary. I mentioned all the the blackguards and, and, uh, and, and villains and sinners that were gathered there. Well, Mary's none of that. Mary's without sin. And therefore, she's the great prototype of faithful Israel. Therefore, she's the one who can best pray on our behalf for the coming of the Holy Spirit. How wonderful that in the Hail Mary prayer, we say, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. What are we asking Mary to pray for but for the Holy Spirit? And that's why she is the principal member of the body of Christ, why she's the first of the disciples. Even now, as we beg for the Spirit, we do it with her and through her intercession. Now, having seen all this, having said all this, it's only fair to warn you. The Spirit is indeed a wonderful power, but the Spirit is also dangerous. Wonderful because it enables us to do things we could never dream of doing on our own. The capacity to bring the God of Israel to all the nations, to preach and to teach, all of that, to build up the beautiful community, all that is possible only through the Spirit. But, but, this will necessarily be dangerous. Dangerous. 
How come? Because it won't make us popular with the powers and principalities. Listen to St. Peter now in our second reading. As he speaks to the persecuted church in the first century, listen, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Ah, what's a mark of the Spirit that you will be persecuted? What's a mark of the Spirit that you will be insulted? What's a mark of the Spirit? You will not be popular with the powers and principalities and all that are beholden to them in the world. Any exceptions? Not that I know of. Look at the lives of the saints. I can't name any saint who didn't suffer. Any saint who was not in some way, internally or externally, beset, opposed, made to suffer. Go through sometimes Butler's Lives of the Saints. Read all the biographies of the great saints. The great and the saints maybe who are, who are less well known. You will find this as a common denominator. It's a sign of the Spirit, a mark of the Spirit. And therefore, Christians do ask for the Holy Spirit, but be careful what you ask for and be ready. Because remember, at the very heart of our faith, there is the figure of the crucified Jesus. And when he breathes forth his last, he breathes his spirit into the world. Power, yes. Persecution, yes. Glory, yes. The cross, yes. But that's the wonder. That's the beauty of the Holy Spirit. And that's the spirit that's coming to us next week on Pentecost Sunday. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. The cemetery ministry is a core ministry of our Catholic faith tied to the corporal works of mercy. Cardinal George says, It's comforting to know that our Catholic cemeteries are caring for the remains of our loved ones awaiting the resurrection. There are 43 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries willing to help you during times of loss. Call 708-449-6100 for assistance. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.